It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm exhausted, Jeff. It was a long weekend, um, but I think the, the one of the highlights was the small business showcase that we had this past Saturday down at the Great Man Brewery in Haymarket, and uh, it was just a, a, what a fun, wonderful time. It was an opportunity to, as I said in the trying to get people to come to this it's an opportunity to build community like it wasn't a political percent um political uh event it was a a party for the people you know just an opportunity for us to meet local businesses for us to meet each other and to um to really become sort of friends and and to build those bonds that are missing um i think one of my favorite vendors was the uh, tactical trash pandas which from the name uh has very little to do with perhaps with what you might think it does. And um, as uh, Roderick was there, he had this really cool demo with his uh, target practice, target training. And so my sons love shooting his little laser guns at the uh, the targets. And I know it's um, something I wanna, uh, one of those training sessions is something I wanna get my dad as we, uh, probably for his birthday this coming August. So I just, you know, that was one of the highlights. It was just a lot of fun, but I'm dead uh from that and then my, my <laughs> sister was in a play this weekend that we went to and i feel like it was just a, a lot of celebration a lot of community events a lot of time for us to grow and get together um so how are you i'm good i'm i'm also excited ex exhausted uh small business showcase was fantastic uh we had great vendors uh i know my girls love the floss king at the uh the cotton candy uh, he, I don't know if you saw at one point, but he made a cotton candy version of himself and he was walking around talking to himself as a ventriloquist. I got a little on video. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, and the cotton candy, I tried the, the coconut. It was fantastic. Um, but yeah, yeah was, I couldn't, I couldn't tell the difference between him and his cotton candy impersonation. That's how good, <laughs> That's how good he is. Right. Um, <laughs> so, and then, um, you know, of course, great Maine was a wonderful host. Uh, love Matt and Josh. Um, great beer. We had a great time. We got to do the flannel dino in the back. It was a, a bunch of little kids excited about reading. You know how much I love <laughs> trying to encourage people to read. Um, I heard lots of good things about the food. I heard the pork was delicious. I heard the cornbread was delicious. So that was, uh, that was good to hear from people and, you know, just lots of smiling faces. So it was a, it was a good time at the end of the night. I was exhausted. Um, Vanessa and I came home and we actually decided instead of making dinner, we went back out. <laughs> And we went to Giuseppe's and right down the street from Great Maine and got uh got the the best chicken parmesan you can have. Uh you know, I know I've never been to Italy, but I'm pretty sure that's better than anything in Italy. It's so good. <laughs> well, that's the thing with Italian food here. It's it's really it's uh, Americanized. I don't I would uh that well, even like if you go to Italy and you get the pizza, it's very different from any of the pizzas we have here. But um one of the things I like about the small business showcase, especially since it's not like a political event per se it's um just it's kind of this long-term thinking that you and i are trying to engage in in terms of uh you know we got to think about past the next election we got to think past a lot of elections because really um i would say there's probably a, a slow descent and so we're trying to, to do a an ascent and um you know if it happens quickly we'll be happy with that i know but but i think we are are trying to um do it in a methodical way such that there's substance behind it such that uh you know the small changes we put that we were able to make like they stick i think that's a key thing um and i you know i've had this conversation uh with a friend and we were just kind of thinking talking about like 
about change in politics. And um, we got to talking about like, you know, democracies and republics and we're, Jeff and I are small R Republicans to the, uh, to the limit because it's the idea that, um, you know, not everyone can make every single decision. So you kind of delegate that authority to someone else, but sometimes you're upset with those decisions. And so you, the, the, we've got this sort of democratic mechanism in order to replace those people. But I think what, what the parties tend to do is they tend to, as we talked about in one of our classes, they kind of align the power. So once you get your, your preferred legislators in there and your preferred uh, executives, if that's governor, president, then they just kind of do everything they can um, kind of without thinking about sort of the long-term ramifications. It's almost like, you know, I got to get everything done on my my to-do list. Otherwise, when the next party um, gets into power, they're going to just undo everything. And I got to get it done as fast as possible because the more I can get done, the harder it will be for them to undo everything. Um, and, you know, that just that seems to be how we operate. But if you kind of think about it from a, a long-term perspective, like sometimes it's great that we have all these rules in place. Like I think the Senate filibuster is one of those um, those hidden gems. And I know people complain about it and they say, well, it's just, a, it was a way to hold slavery in place and, you know, allow it, um, make it more difficult for that to get removed. But I think, um, and you know, and perhaps that's that was the case for that particular issue. But I think in general, having rules in place in a legislative body where you stick to them, where you say, well, if it's a big issue, we kind of want 60, 60 of the senators to, um, to put their thumbs up, to at least continue the debate and have it up for a vote, just so that we know that we're not making really terribly rash decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, I was having this conversation and he was kind of like, oh, you know, well, as long as they're making decisions that I like, I'm happy with it. And I was like, but, but what happens when, um, you know, who, what about, what about other people? Like, you know, they won't be happy with the decision. So kind of where does it come along? But, um, and it, you know, I think you could kind of make this claim that, well, he was just sort of supporting tyranny almost where it's, as long as I'm in charge, I'm okay with it. Um, and that, that reminded me of this, this um, conversation from this play, Thomas More by, uh, oh, I just had it here. Um, uh, Robert Bolt is a man for all seasons. Um, and it's just kind of a snapshot of Thomas More. He's this English poet, English statesman, um, probably one of the, the top legal minds in England um, of the time. And uh, he's also a fan of Cicero. So that's a thing. But so he's talking with his son-in-law and, and his son-in-law is William Roper. And William Roper says, so now, and I'll ask this question to you, Jeff, would you give the devil the benefit of the law? Mm. And uh, I mean, like, that's a, that's a quite a strong Question, so so here's the thing. How do I determine that he is the devil? No, well, that's a good question. Like who well, I think if it's the devil, he'll let you know. But yeah. well, I mean, but like, you know, like I mean, look, I say this all the time to people, like, we're we're born in God's image and we're infected with sin. We're both good and bad, right? Like, who who is this person? Are they really the devil that we think they are? Are they the devil we want them to be? And who am I to judge? I am not a god, right? So like I mean, we have to have a system that is balanced and fair that allows us to debate these things. And then we come to some sort of like either mass consensus or no consensus, right? Like we either move forward because everybody, a majority of people agree, or we stay where we are because we can't figure it out yet. And until we can figure it out, we shouldn't move forward. Yeah, um, no, I, I I agree, and I think part of that thing is like we've got these rules in place. If we follow the rules, that will help us come to a good decision. So Thomas More responds to that question about giving the devil the benefit of the law. He says, "Yes, what would you do? 
cut a great road through the law to get after the devil. And then his son-in-law, William Roper, says, yes, I'd cut down every law in England to do that. And then Thomas replies, oh, and when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper? The laws being all being flat. This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast, man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down, and if you're just the man to do it, do you really think that you could stand upright in the winds that would blow them? Yes, I'd give the benefit, the devil, the benefit of law for my own safety's sake. So I think like that's just small snapshot, but I think it's it's a an idea that I uh, cherish the idea that having laws in place and sort of um, not cutting them down willy nilly, but really if you see something wrong with it, going through the process to 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 trim it, to prune it, so that you can fix those issues. And instead of going through and trying to bulldoze everything, because let's just like in this this image here, like once you've bulldozed all the laws, you've bulldozed all the cultural norms, you've bulldozed any of the safeguards, what's to prevent someone from coming back and bulldozing you and taking your life and your liberty and your property? So I think that's just what what one of the really stuck in my mind um, after, you know, after we were doing these classes, but to kind of, to really talk about someone with it and sort of reason through it, like we need to just be careful about some of the, the um, changes we espouse, the rules we put in place, and the rules that we don't like, and how we go about changing those and fixing those and doing it in the proper way, because well, otherwise we're going to be in a world of hurt. Well, you know, before we sat down to do this interview, I started an article, and I came to this. Uh, you know, I we, obviously you and I talk about uh, the antebellum period, and we talk about the Gilded Age a lot, right? Yeah. What do the two eras have in common? Spoil system, right? And so like the spoil system in the antebellum era landed with us in civil war and the spoil system of the of the gilded age landed us in the progressive slash great depression right so like we had in both of those circumstances we had political violence that burst up from this and like what were the overlying things is the spoil system caused corruption in the government and that caused people to to want to tear it down right like so much so that they went to war at one point in time and then so much so again that there was small factions of people that tried to kill the president we had you know uh assassination assassinations of two presidents james garfield and william mckinley and let's not forget somebody tried to assassinate teddy roosevelt later after he was president when he was running as in the third party again right so a lot of political violence and so like to the people, to all the people out there that says, well, we just need to tear it down. Like, what about unintended consequences? What about the political Absolutely. violence? What about your family? Like, who's to say what that political violence is going to show, show up in this generation? Like, political violence was bleeding Kansas. Political violence was, um, you know, the assassination attempts. Political violence was Harper's Ferry, right? Let's not forget Frederick Douglass didn't go to Harper's Ferry, right? He didn't think that that was a good idea, right? But but uh, John Brown is is celebrated as this hero, right? But like Frederick Douglass was like, you know what? This isn't the way that I want to lead, right? I don't want to lead through violence. What is the short term? What is the long term thinking of your small violent uprising? Like, how are you really going to solve this problem? And again, it's. It's the short-term thinking that leads to the political violence. If you're thinking out there, yeah, things are bad and we should just, just do revolution, 
right? Like that's the word I hear from people all the time. And I'm like, whoa, reform, right? There's only one R word we want to be speaking. Like if you're a regular individual who like can't buy your way out of trouble, then you should be speaking reform because any type of revolution puts you and your family in jeopardy. And like, <laughs> it's just like, it's proven time and time again, we've seen it happen and we've got a, you know, we really got to pump the brakes a little bit on this, you know, tear it down type thing. Don't you think? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And, uh, and speaking of, of having lots of money to buy your way into it, have you seen, did you see the art of the, the scheme that Doug Bergram is doing? He's the billionaire North Dakota governor. And uh, if you donate just $1 to his campaign, he will send you a gift card for, I think it's 20 bucks to help, help fight the Biden uh, economic inflation. And, uh, you know, I don't think this is, he, he frames it as charity, but um, the uh, the cynical take of me is this is just one way for him to get on the Republican debate stage because you need to get 40,000 individual donors. And what better way to get 40,000 people to give you uh, a dollar is to give them 20 bucks back. Uh, isn't that, I mean, like, isn't that ridiculous? I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant and just awful all at the same time, right? Like it's brilliant because He's he's pointing out the major flaw in our system, which is if you want power, you can buy it and you can find a way to manipulate around the rules and buy power. And while look, I'll be honest, I don't know much about Doug Bergdom, right? Maybe he's a great candidate. Maybe he is like the guy to bring in reform. But does the ends justify the means here, right? Like, even if he's great, what happens if he doesn't make it? Like, what happens if he's not successful? Like, long-term reform takes a, like, an actual strategy with a group. You know, you look at um, Benjamin Hayes in the Gilded Age, right? Like, the reform started with Benjamin Hayes in the Gilded Age. And then he passed it along to James Garfield. James Garfield was assassinated and Chester A. Arthur continued the reform, even though he was actually part because that by that point, they had started to build a consensus that they needed to reform their government a little bit. Right. And, you know, we now look and you go, OK, well, this one this one guy is going to fix our problems. No, it's not going to be one guy. You know, if somebody's out there buying power, look, they're not the solution, you know, and 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 the fact that they're willing to do that. It, it, they're either aware of their manipulation and they don't care. They think there's no other way, which means they think you're stupid, right? Like if you're an average citizen and the person in power is saying, well, there's no other way to actually win. They're discounting your ability to like think, you know, like they're not even willing to explain things to you. They're just like, ah, I have to buy your support because I could never explain to you how Im important this really is, you know? Well, that goes to uh, one, of, one of our lessons that we talked about, communication and uh, the fact that a, a person who's trying to win your vote so that, he, that this person can lead you, can represent you, uh, has automatically waved the white flag and said, oh, there's no way I can communicate my ideas to these people. I literally have to buy their affection. Like, that's just, that's no better than the Roman, the, the fall of the Roman Republic and the, the Caesars with the bread and circuses. I don't know. Why doesn't he just... You know, instead of the twenty dollars gift card, he should just buy uh, Netflix subscriptions to people for give them two months free Netflix, and then, um, you know, figure out some way to to stop it during the Republican debate so that they have to watch his his debate performance. But I think it's just we're in this 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 corrupting process where the representatives um, will not listen and cannot even try to communicate. I won't even try to communicate.
No, they don't try to talk to us at all. They only talk to money, right? And like, and when they talk to us, they tell us to either give them, they tell us to give them money. Like it's either they talk to money or they tell us to give them money. That's the communication that's going on right now in our government and between political officials and the people that vote. No, it's just, it's so disheartening. Um, so uh, Jeff, speaking of, uh, of people only looking for money, did you see this article about from the local Potomac, Potomac local news that Dana Garone was in San Francisco fundraising this weekend? And I'll, I'll, you can you can fit, put this in your answer, but I believe Danica is running for a Virginia Senate seat. So it'd be funny that there's anyone in San Francisco that can vote for her. But, um, you know, maybe this is part of the whole election integrity thing. The San Francisco people are voting in Virginia. But, you know, do you think Danica fundraising in San Francisco makes her a representative or a profiteer? Ooh, that's a good question, John. I mean, is she listening to the people that she represents? It doesn't sound like it. I mean, I don't. She, I don't know how many. I don't know how many people from Prince William Summer in San Francisco. Is she is she even talking to the people in her community? Like, is she even in the room with them? Like, she. Well, she wasn't at our small time. business showcase, so she could have been at the exactly. She could have been at the small business showcase with a whole bunch of people from her community who live in her district, but she decided to be in San Francisco. Um, Look, I didn't invite her to the showcase because I don't know her, but I, you know, um, she was welcome to come. It was on Facebook and everything else. But I mean, I think it makes you a profiteer, like plain and simple. And I think it, you like you're betraying the people that you're supposed to serve. Like the whole Republican system is set up with competing states, right? We're supposed to take we're supposed to take care of Virginians. If you're in San Francisco, then you're not taking care of Virginians because you're not listening to them. Like, it it doesn't matter how much money you get from them. You're listening to their ideas and you're not listening to mine, right? You're not listening to yours. Now, you're actually outside of her district, but she would be in mine. Like, she should be in in my ear every day asking me what's going on right? She should be in the small businesses that were at that show's ear asking them what's going on. But she's in San Francisco. And I just, I can't imagine how that serves Virginia at all. Well, I definitely don't live in the district, but you know, if you're in the state Senate, that affects everything that happens in Virginia. Um, and that's one of the things that I've learned uh, being involved in local politics is there are striations of where control is in the state legislature by design in Virginia has a tremendous amount of power over our daily lives. So yes, I may not be in the, uh, in the, the, uh, the district around Prince William, but I, uh, any decision that comes out of the state legislature and the state Senate is going to affect my life and my family's life. So um, I think I have just as much right, maybe not as much right, but I have a right to complain too that someone running for a Virginia office is not in Virginia um, and is, is seeking money. That's not Virginian. Um, you know, I just think it's it's um, it does go back to that that bit we talked about the representative. And you know, when I was talking to people at the small business forum, and I was passing out sort of the, those little booklets we've got, um, it's it was good for me to kind of rethink about like what we had talked about. And that that representation aspect is so key. It's the listening. It's uh, and you can only listen if you are within earshot of the people who are talking or um, complaining, uh, praising. You know, you got to be within that community, um, and then it is the communicating aspect, and it's the ability to uh, 
put yourself out of limb and try to explain like what's going on in this particular situation. And um, you, you can't communicate if you don't try. And if you're not in the same room or um, trying to find the means that, that you can reach out to those to people. And, and walk across the aisle, right? Like walk in, in, into the uncomfortable rooms and, and explain what's going on. You know, don't just hide away. I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before. If you are local and you try to get involved with, the party that's not the party that you're affiliate with, like, it's really difficult. Like they, they try to keep you out, you know? And it's like, we well, shouldn't you, like, if that's where power resides, which it is, it resides inside the party, you have to like meet the candidates and whatnot to vote on them. Then why shouldn't you be allowed to come out and be at these things? And then, you know, if you're a candidate and you moved your part, your power so far away from anybody in this district, like, like, I'm serious. Like, I'm a parent of five. I'm very dissatisfied with the education system. I'm very dissatisfied with the local, um, you know, economy, the way that it's run, uh, the way the land use has been a big problem locally. Um, the roads are on constant, constant construction, and they're getting more confusing. I can only imagine this becoming a problem in the future. Um, and like, I can't understand why somebody who's running for office in a populist era, what does populism mean? Populism means people are frustrated because people aren't being listened to. Like you're going to go out of the state like, it's just like whoever her consultants are, and we talk about consultants, like they need to be fired, like flat out. Like they aren't reading the room. They aren't doing a good job at all. Um, and <laughs> because if I'm Bill Wolf, I'm putting out there, don't California or Virginia vote Bill Wolf. Plain and simple on every road sign, you, you post that link and you say, she's not listening to you. You and I both ran for office. Now we ran in a bigger office, it was a district, but I've worked on delegate campaigns, I've worked for the for the governor, and I can tell you the most difficult thing that candidates and representatives struggle with is the group they lead is too big. They don't have the resources to reach all of them. They don't have the resources to talk to them. They don't have the resources to listen to them. So if you're already behind the behind the eight ball because the rules are against you as a representative, what are you doing out of the state for even a millisecond? Because I try to talk to as many people as possible in Danica's district, which I live in, and it's nearly impossible to reach them all. There's no way you could possibly do your job effectively. And I know because I'm trying to do it. So the fact that you are outside the district listening to anyone else is a slap in my face and everybody else's face that lives in this district sorry i got like really bad. no can't couldn't have said it better myself I and mean, that's um that is so true and I, I know that was a problem with uh with my campaign is i had to keep working full-time and uh not being not working in virginia just on the other side of the river um it was really tough to get out and meet people. And, uh, you know, like you said, the congressional district is much, much bigger than a state Senate district. So it's even more people that you got to meet. And it just became like, it became impossible for me to even make much of an effort to get out there and, and to meet people other than sort of the, the party machinations where, Oh, here's a, we're going to have a forum where you guys can all get up there and say about the same thing. And, um, people can decide based on that. So there was, you know, you got to find your own opportunities to, set yourself apart and make yourself uh, known. And 
it's you, I would say you, you just can't do that if you're not in the district and not uh, working and living with with the people you want to represent. Yeah, and I know what she, I know. I know the response is well, the money that I get from San Francisco will help me reach more people in my district. But what are you saying? Are you saying what people in this district want you to say? Are you saying what the people in San Francisco who give you the money want you to say? And what is your job to say? Is your job to say that? Or is your job to listen to the people in this community, inform them on what's going on, and then have a conversation with them, right? Like in no circumstances, like a back to this, does the ends justify the means? No, like you can't, you can't just break the rules or uh, manipulate the rules because it's convenient for you. Like you're not the good guy. Like in no circumstance in the world, are you like sinking to the next level or to the, you know, to the other guy's level and going, you know what? I'm still the good guy. No, you're the bad guy. Like you're the bad guy. If you're outside the district, raising money, plain and simple, like, and look, Republicans do this too. Like, I'm not trying to, and I'm sure candidates that I've supported will do this and have done this. And I would, I would tell them the same thing. You're the bad guy. Like what you're doing is wrong. I don't care what the rules say. The rules are wrong. And your job as a representative is to listen to me, the constituent that says what you're doing is wrong and you should stop doing it. And then you should go change the rules. So it's fair for everybody else. You're not, your job is not to just sink to the level and be like, well, everybody, everybody else is doing it. That's right. It's just the game people play, you know, you just got to fall by the rules, but like, you know how many times I heard that, John, Jeff, <laughs> it's just a game. You just got to play the game. And I'm like, games have rules, man. They have referees that throw flags and stuff. Politics doesn't have any of that. They just write new rules and they decide to do the bad thing. And then sometimes someone gets caught and they get uh, sent to jail, but uh, that's few and far between. No, I mean, like, the, you got to think, like, okay, so let's let's take that to face value. Okay, politics is just a game. What What's the objective, though? And I think this is where people lose sight, too, because they say, well, the, the game, the objective is to raise as much money as possible. And I say, no, the objective is to get 50% plus one of the people who voted in an election to vote for you so that you can uh, go on and, and represent them and lead them. Like, that's the end goal. And money can be a means to do that, but it's just a means. It is not the means. It is not the only way. Um, well, you and know. in fact, it is so corrupting because when you do those donor calls, when you go meet with donors, you know, either you're, they already know you and they know where you stand, or you have to go and they, they you know, they, you always talk about the questionnaires and stuff like they give you their own personal questionnaire and they say, where do you stand on this issue and this issue that are incredibly important to me? And if you, if we don't say eye to eye on those particular issues, I'm not going to get right to any money and I'm going to walk away. And so you got to be, you got to play both sides. Maybe you agree with it. Maybe you don't, or maybe you kind of say, well, I'm okay. I can squish in that direction because I know it's going to be a $3,000 check. So I'll, I'll say what they want me to say so I can get the money, cash it. And then I won't think about them ever again, unless till the next election, I got to hit them up again for a donation. Well, you know, I mean, the, the biggest problem with that system is at some point, the candidate stops talking to anybody else, but the fundraisers. Right. right? And, and it's not about like, are they doing what they say? It's what world do they live in, right? Like, do they, they, if you're only listening to those people, you probably believe them, right? Like 
you're never listening to anything else. Like you go on the news and people yell at you and, and whatnot, but like in reality, you're never actually talking to real people. Everybody else is just your enemy and they're lying, right? And these people are your supporters and they're telling you that this is the problem. You, you're not actually taking the time to go speak to find out if maybe the people paying you are lying to you, right? And maybe what you've been saying is also a lie. And maybe you were not qualified for the job in the first place because you couldn't figure that out, right? Like you couldn't figure out the fact that money shapes people, right? Like you didn't you didn't read the foundie. You don't know about Ben, ben Franklin's snuff box. Maybe you're unqualified for the job, but somebody with money saw something special in you. They saw something different in you that could be a real like, you know, bring the community together and make change. So they propped you up and they, you know, donated money and they taught you how to speak and how to be eloquent, but you say what they say. And now who are you and who do you represent? You know, like it's, it's a messed up system, John. What do you think? Bad system. Well, it's just a game, Jeff. It's just the way things are played, yeah. but I, <laughs> it's just a game, just a game. But I, I think like, um, I think you just gotta if you if you if you think things are wrong, you gotta do do it how you what your conscience tells you and follow that. And then uh I think things will work out in the end. I think especially if you're doing the honorable and the uh the the politically expedient thing, which is always the honorable thing, like it'll in the long term it'll work out. And maybe you maybe you don't get to be president, but maybe you're able to inspire other people. And um and I think that's where the humility comes in that that's so often lacking is that Sometimes it's okay not to be the guy in charge if you can help other people uh, to also succeed. I mean, you know how I feel about being president. I think it's the worst job ever. And I've studied so many presidents to know that that's not the job like I want to have. Like, I want to be close to the presidency. Like, I'm not going to lie, mm -hmm. I'm in the White House. Like, I love the history. I want some at point in my life, I want to be able to walk in rooms that most people can't walk in. That would be cool for the amount of effort I've put in to whatever I'm doing, right? But I don't want that responsibility, man. It's too much. Like, especially at the stage of like how tense everything is right now. Like, oh, yeah. no, no, that's for somebody else. <laughs> it's a tough spot. It's definitely a tough spot. Somebody a little bit more even keel that doesn't like go on like long rants about political, you know. Hey, I was ranting about the the, the ends justifying the means. So uh, <laughs> ends not justifying the means. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, John, let's circle back to this small business thing before we close out. Um, you think we want to do it again? I would do it again. I think it was. Um... You know, it was our first time doing it. So I think we were learning in the process as we've been learning all throughout this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think us having gone through it and I would do it again. I, you know, if we do do it in Haymarket, we do try to find some other location. I think it would be a wonderful opportunity. Again, it's just a great time to hang out and meet people. And I think that's what's so lacking. And when you, when you go through these political circles, like, yeah, you're meeting people, but if you're at like a meet and greet or something like, Hey, there's a politician is trying to get your vote or your dollars or both. Um, and this was just a low key environment to just try to understand other people. Well, so I think we definitely do it again. Right. I don't think we go anywhere else. We go to great Maine, right? Like we did Vita Nova. We did Vita Nova for three, four or five, five meetings, something like that. Then we did Giuseppe's. We did three, four or five meetings. 
And I think it's, I think it's great Maine. I think it's their time to shine, right? Like we find a good business. We highlight that business um, mm -hmm. we go from place to place, letting people know about that business um, and trying to give them information about their community along, along the way, right? Whether it's just uh, like a salon style conversation that we had at Vita Nova or well, whether it was a class at uh, Giuseppe's like we had, or now where we've, we're, we're, We've grown to the point now we're highlighting multiple businesses at one time. I think Great Main was a wonderful vendor. Uh, they were great to work with. Um, and I know they're, they want to have us back. And that's always good when you're wanted back, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and I know I know our vendors had a good time. They want to come back as well. And I've had so many ideas on how to make it better, right? Like Because I don't know how you are, John, but I'm the type of person that does something. And at the end of the day, when they go, hey, how was everything? I go, well all of this was wrong and that's all my fault. And I'm really mad right now. And they're like, well, this is really great. And I go, yes, I need to think that way too. I get you, but I'm learning how to go. Yes. All of this stuff was really great. And you know, next time I'm going to do this other stuff. That's going to be, make it even greater or better or whatever it is. <laughs> Sounds like your, uh, your keels even, even in and out right there. I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, that's the growth of of moving from a child to an adult, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but I uh no, I, I thought it was great. I had a really good time. Um, you know, I love being able to read to kids. You know, just sitting down and having eight to ten kids that came out to listen to reading, that makes my day right there. Um, because I know that. that that's the change, right? That's what Frederick Douglass said. You know, when I, once I learned, uh, once I learned to read, I would be forever free or something mm -hmm. like that. Paraphrasing, I apologize, Frederick, but you know, and like, that's how important it is in our society. Absolutely. And like, we just, there isn't enough focus, you know, like all those politicians, Danica was in San Francisco. I was in the community trying to teach kids to read. Right. Like, mm -hmm. what are you doing with your free time? You know, like, who are you serving? You know, like, are you serving yourself? Are you serving your group? Or are you serving the people that you live next to, which is your responsibility? You know, and, and I think we all have that, whether you are an elected representative or not, you you have the responsibility, you know, you have to take care of your kids. You have to take care of your family. And if you really want to take care of your family, then take care of your community so you live in a safe environment so you don't have to worry so much about your kids. You're not so concerned about the education system. You're not so concerned about safety and what's going on in law enforcement. You know, like you you can let your kid walk to your neighbor's house. Um, I just, I think maybe our focus is a little off in some circumstances. And I think that just, you know, point it out, right? Like if Danica wanted to come to the next small business showcase, by all means, come have a conversation, you know, like, but be here, be with the people, you know, like be with the people that you represent, talk to the people you represent, stop listening to everyone else because they don't matter. Not to you, not to your job. If you want to listen to them, go get a different job. You know, just run for a different office. You want to be, you know, like, or move to San Francisco. Move to San Francisco, yeah. That's the thing. Like, if you want to be, if you want, if you want this to be San Francisco, then go live in San Francisco. Leave Virginia. 
You know, like, I just, I don't understand the mentality. Sorry, I'm back to ranting about Danica again. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, um, there's, as you, I've been mean, like, you're right, just not in my head in agreement everything you're saying. Like, it's, reading is so key, and that's something that I think is missing so much, and I think we're focusing too much on uh, silly things like making PowerPoints when you're in first or second grade to talk about, like spend the time reading a great book and then have a little discussion about it. Like you don't need to spend your time making your own little uh, video montage about it or a PowerPoint or something like just read a book. And actually um, our family was, uh, was uh, so taken with some of the suggestions from the small business showcase that you put, like we were um, after dinner as the kids were cleaning the kitchen, Katie was reading them some of uh, the, uh, I think it's the Grimm's fairy tales. Um, so, and so just because we realize like we need to really incorporate that into our family. So, uh, you know, we're making, we ourselves are making changes from our small business Saturday get together. Well, that's awesome. It, uh, so I've, that's, I'm going to pump something that I posted on our sub stack now, because you brought that up is the, uh, I posted our reading is fundamental from the very final dino. And then again, mm -hmm. this is my passion, you know, like get kids to read, get adults to read, get kids and adults to read together. Um, and it's just, it's a worksheet um, with an explanation. And it's just, it tells parents why reading is so important for their development. It explains like how to read with your kids. And it's like, it's not really that hard. And I can say this as a parent who like, I struggle, like I didn't know how to read. Like when I started reading my kids, I was embarrassed because of how much I tripped over my words. I didn't know like how to guide them. I was just kind of like grasping at straws at some point, but I just like, I knew I was supposed to do it. <laughs> like everybody says, read your kids, read your kids. So I just, I started doing it. I became, because I struggled so much, I put a lot of focus in to become a better reader. And then as I became a better reader, I understood the value in it. So then I was able to go back and read with my kids and say, all right, well, like, where's the value is just helping them remember. And one of the like most basic ways you can do this is just by having a conversation about it you know like and I used to do this even before I was a big reader with my kids I would I pick them up from daycare and I would say how was your day and they went good right and depending <laughs> on what age group is the vocabulary to get back but even at a very young age the moment the kids started to talk more than one word at a time I was like what did you have for breakfast what did you do for circle time what did you do? What was your outside activity, right? I knew what their schedule was. So I walked them through their day and I helped them remember what happened and let them repeat it back to me, right? Mm -hmm. So like your brain is a muscle. This trains them. It trains them to think back and remember what happened. And so like if anything interesting happened that day, they would typically be like, oh yeah, and at lunch, and they would tell me this story, right? And that helps them remember it. So now in the future, they're able to remember the story a little bit more because it was meaningful to them. And the more you tell the story, the more it sinks in. And the same thing applies for reading, you know, because it's a story. And, and you just, if you talk about it afterwards, you're going to remember it a little bit better. And maybe what you saw or what you read is a little bit different than what you thought it was. And having that reflection from an adult, especially when you're a child, is really good in helping them understand the story so they don't misinterpret it and learn the wrong thing from it. And this is where I think that maybe parents of the last couple generations, maybe we haven't focused on this enough. You know, like maybe... 
TV was there and movies were there and Netflix was there and we were at our jobs working really hard trying to build a better life for them. And then we kind of forgot like what the point of that was. And yeah. so, um, you know, one of the, I, I posted on the Substack. stack, uh, it's just a little thing. It's got some basic questions for like young readers, like who, uh, green eggs and ham. They're not, I mean, anybody can think of them, right? Like they're just questions to ask after reading the book. It just engages your child. It, it keeps them in, you know, to be more enthusiastic about reading. Maybe they want to talk about it the next day. They'll be like, hey, mommy, daddy, remember when such and such happened in this? And, you know, it just makes them want to read again. Because I know that's a challenge to get the kids is like, they want to watch the TV. They want to play outside. They want to do all these really fun things. And reading can sometimes be perceived as boring. But when you really focus in, it's not. No, it's much, it can be very entertaining, I'd say. And that's one of my, one of my pet peeves. We were talking about um, recounting kids' days. And that's one of my pet peeves is when you ask your kids, like, what did you, what did you do today? And they say, oh, I don't remember. And he's like, well, what about like math class? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And it's like, no, no, well, like, what did you learn in math class? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, well, what, what am I sending you to school for anyway if you're not going to remember anything? It's, it, uh, that, um, that's the teenager right that's the... no that's my that's my like middle schoolers and my elementary school kids yeah no they they just don't remember any i yeah i get that from i get that from the older kids now sometimes for like i'm like how was your day good good <laughs> and i'm like yeah i remember when i picked you up when you were out of uh you know first grade and you were like well this happened and 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 i'm like okay 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 and now you're like good it's a good day <laughs> anything interesting happened no <laughs> i'm like what made it a good day i don't know it's just a good day <laughs> i'm alive that's what's good about it. i'm alive i mean hey look that's not wrong right like any day you're alive is a good day and that's not you know and if that's the answer i'm i'm rolling with that but then i want to know all the bad stuff that happened <laughs> <laughs> oh man So uh, small business so showcase September. We're September. doing it. We're gonna uh yeah, we'll we'll have we'll a, figure it out. We have our Madisonian meeting on Wednesday. Uh we already sent out the agenda, John. Come on. We got three dates for you to pick. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll uh well hopefully we'll have that announced by next week. Honestly, um I'm excited to do it again. Like I said, I got up a whole bunch of ideas to make it better. And when people reach out to me and say, hey, are you going to do it again? That makes me feel encouraged to want to do it again. So, uh, and like I said, it was a good time, uh, a great place, one of my favorite places to go. I don't know if you noticed tonight, but I was I was drinking Great Maine beer. It's my local cheers. This is what I got from Boston. Um, How about that? I like the, uh, what did you, what did you drink on, on Saturday? Um, I actually, I really like their Pilsner. Uh, I know it's, they just said it's like, if you just quote, quote, want a beer and this is the beer, oh, um, but I'm, I'm kind of on like, you know, like I, I got into IPAs and you just kind of like get tired of hoppiness. And now, um, everyone's into like this ultra hazy IPAs and the double IPAs. And I think like, sometimes you got to go crisp and clean and, and, um, they do a, a fine Pilsner. Uh, I like their, um, they call it barbershop. It's like a extra That's special bitter. Is that it? Yeah. And no, that was a good yeah, one. Right. Um, the um, I had the stout. I wouldn't say it was my favorite, but I think again, like I think it's just um, not feeling the stouts. But I also had the um, tasted the uh, was it the Firebird, the Pale Ale? That's really good. So Fireberry, Fireberry. Sorry, 
Did you see the shirts they had there? I did. I did. I wonder who I wonder who printed those. <laughs> no, uh, so the the barbershop was my favorite. Uh, I typically drink the Malcolm, but it's funny because I get into it with some of the guys that go there. They're always like, "Oh, you got to drink the Steeny." And Matt and Josh tell me all the time it's the number one selling beer, and I'm like, "It's no, it should be it should be barbershop. It should be Malcolm. It should be Fireberry. Like, what is with the Steeny? It's just like ah. Uh. And then the IPAs. I think that's number two, and I'm just like, I don't get it. I'm not an IPA guy. I don't want the hoppiness. Do we need to go into the history of the East India Company and Britain and how they began for me to like win this argument? <laughs> no, you got to go back further. You got to go to the German purity laws. That's why the Pilsner is so so um, quintessential because it is like the purest of beers. <laughs> well, some may disagree. I uh, you know, I like a I like a darker beer. So there's uh what is it? Some Latin quote. It's like de gustibus non disputata message concerning likes. You should not argue. So <laughs> we can leave it. We can leave it there. But um, you know, you, when you come to this small business showcase, you can try them all. That's right. And that was a great show, John. Um, we have another event coming up on Monday, J uh, July 24th at Taste of Old Country. This is another local business that we uh, really enjoy frequenting. Um, they're a wine bar and sandwich shop or restaurant in uh, Manassas. We have a small dinner planned. Um, so space is limited. I think we're about halfway booked out already. So if you would like to attend and have just a very comfortable conversation um, over some food and some wine, um, some delicious food and delicious wine uh, with the Madisonian team. You can RSVP at MadisonianRepublicans.com. Uh, John, do you have anything you want to leave the people with today? Uh, hopefully we'll see you at the Taste of Old Country. And it was great to see everyone this past Saturday. And, uh, you know, it just it's just makes everything worth it when you get to put a face to a name or uh, bring people together. Yes. And thank you again to our host, uh, Great Main Brewery. Thank you to all of our wonderful vendors, uh, Leslie Salmon from Salmon Home Realities, uh, Roderick Honeycutt from uh, Tactical Trash Pan, Stephen Kent, the author of How the Force Can Fix the World. You know how much I love that book. Um, JJ Javid of Freedom Flooring. We had, uh, oh, my brain, I'm slipping Phoenix here. Services. Phoenix Services, Danny Chikas from Phoenix Services, Ceramic Coating, and Dr Josh Trinetic from um, uh, Custom Wood Woodworking. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, one of my biggest pet peeves is not being able to like find good things because you have to order everything online. And he, I, my wife and I have been in the like market for a good set of cornhole boards. And he came out there and he had some awesome cornhole boards. So. I walked away buying a set of cornhole boards on on Saturday, which was fantastic. I can't wait to get out uh, and play them with the kids. So, um, and of course, the Floss King was there. That was wonderful, and uh, the very flannel Dino. He's he's all right, you know. And then uh, Hard Hits uh, Custom Brand or Community Branding was out there as well. So uh, again, thank you to all of our wonderful vendors. Thank you to everyone that came out and supported the event, who shared, who liked, who commented on social media. We do very much appreciate it. And from me to my Madisonian team, John, Danny, Victor, Craig, my wife, Vanessa, and Phil, I appreciate all your hard work and helping put this on. So peace and love. <laughs>